We return this morning to Hebrews chapter 13, final section of the book, running 18 to 25. Our preaching text this morning will be 13, 20, and 21. Hebrews 13, 18. Pray for us, for we trust that we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, and all God's people say, and I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in a few words. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have rule over you and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. And all God's people say, Amen. Father, thank you for this ending section of Hebrews that brings together the thoughts of prayer and benediction for the blessing of your people. May your people herein be blessed today. We pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. This final section of Hebrews includes one of the most dynamic and blessed benedictions in all of the scripture. The term benediction refers to an official pronouncement of blessing upon the people of God. We're going to work today and next week with the pronouncement of blessing that is found in verse 20 and 21. We once again call your attention to the fact that the book of Hebrews ends with emphasis upon elements of prayer and benediction. Prayer is, of course, the making of requests for the people of God, and benediction is making pronouncement of blessing upon the people of God. Both of those elements come together at the close of Hebrews in a stunning manner. You and I are quite accustomed in our interaction with each other as saints in saying, I'll be praying for you. It's good. We might think about what could be said along these lines. I will be praying for you, but right now I bless you in the name 
of the Lord Jesus. That would be an extra step. And I would suggest that that kind of thing may well be uh, rightly indicated uh, according to the closing of this grand book of Hebrews. In this concluding portion, we are reminded of the connectedness that all believers share under their great high priest, Jesus Christ. Throughout the book, there is this back and forth between the Old Testament reality and the New Testament reality, between the Old Testament ritual and the New Testament reality, between Old Testament Aaron and New Testament Jesus. There is this constant back and forth between the law and the Lord. And I do believe, without specifically citing such, that that is to be seen here in the benediction of 20 and 21. The Old Testament high priest Aaron and his sons were given by God a responsibility to put the name of God upon the children of Israel with specific and prescribed words. Those beautiful words of Aaronic priestly blessing upon the congregation of Israel are recorded in the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 6. Go there for just a quick moment. Numbers, chapter 6. I'll read 22 to 27. Numbers, chapter 6, 22. And the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise, or in this manner, ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee, and keep thee, the Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they, Aaron and his sons, shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Now that is a fantastic blessing, and that is a fantastic identification of the ancient people of God in Israel under the auspices of the law. But you and I are not under the law. You and I are under the Lord. And all the way through Hebrews, we have come to understood that our blessing in the Lord is far superior to anything that was ever known under the law. 
And so there is in the mind of the Hebrews author something of that Old Testament blessing, benediction upon the people of God of old that is now brought to bear in its far, far, far superior form upon the people of God today. And on that basis, we come to verses 20 and 21 of Hebrews chapter 13. Aaron and his priestly sons, along with God's promise, was given to bless the Jewish congregation. And now, with a full sense of focus upon the superior high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ our Lord, the apostle would pronounce blessing upon God's New Testament flock along the very themes lifted throughout the book of Hebrews. We've entered each weekly preaching hour in the book of Hebrews with the reading of this benediction. And now we're returning to it today and next Lord's Day, should the Lord tarry, I pray he doesn't tarry, but should he tarry, we'll return to this text and preach verse 21. But today, verse 20. Let me reread it. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Right there. For the sake of our faith and for the sake of our endurance, let's spend a few moments this morning thinking upon the God of peace. Now, the God of peace. It is very significant that our blessing for faith and endurance is launched upon the divine characteristic of peace. It could say power and be absolutely true, but does not. It could say presence and be absolutely true, but does not. It says peace. Because you and I are to understand and be convinced in heart and mind and soul that God, above all else, is peaceful. God is the God of peace. And he, as the God of peace, has done something. And he did that something in God the Son, become man, Jesus Christ. 
in Jesus Christ, God, the God of peace, has made peace with us. With us who believe in his name. He is the one true God of peace that has of his own free will made peace with sinful humanity without compromising his own holiness and righteousness. Knowing that God cannot be at peace with sin. Knowing that God cannot be at peace with unrighteousness of any kind. We could not expect that God would necessarily exercise himself towards us peaceably. But he did. Because he is the God of peace. And he is the peacemaking God. The creator has exercised himself Freely, I use the word freely because he didn't have to. No one could compel him to make peace with sinful man. But the creator has exercised himself freely to make peace with the human creature rather than simply destroy humanity. But again, I say to you, in light of my own sins and your own sins, God would have been right to destroy us all. Our grasp of divine peace flows out of the truth of our sinfulness and his omnibenevolence. Peace, as defined by the Old Testament word shalom, means whole, healthy, well, and secure. God is all that. And he has acted to make that the human reality in the life of those that believe on the name of his Son, since the God of peace has made peace, we may be assured that his unchanging character of peace will dictate the further provisions to us supplied in the days of our earthly sojourn until we stand face to face with God our Savior. Having peace with God, we are set up to enjoy the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Our blessing as the people of God is grounded and founded upon the God of peace. Phrase number two. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. We talk about 
the resurrection of Christ. Every believer knows that the bodily resurrection of Jesus is the cardinal truth upon which the whole of our faith rests. If Jesus is not risen bodily from the grave, our faith is vain, so says the Bible. Here, the resurrection of Jesus is rightly connected to God the Father's sovereign election, sovereign determination, and sovereign action to save sinful humanity. The words brought again are most literally rendered to lead up. The God of peace led up our Lord Jesus Christ out from among the dead. Herein we see the thrice holy Father as the actor bringing up the Son according to the Father's own plan and pleasure. Christ was led up from among the dead or out from among the dead in reference to humanity who are all dead men walking. The resurrection of Jesus is attributed in Scripture to each of the three members of the Godhead. But here, emphasis is upon the Father, the all-powerful God who raised Christ for our peace is the God in whom we trust enduringly. And so our blessing is grounded and founded upon the God of peace. Our blessing is grounded and founded upon uh, the powerful plan of God that brought forth God the Son become man out from among the dead when he died for our sins at the cross. Now that, my friends, is the blessing of blessings. And it's that blessing that is yours if you know Christ. The blessing of the God of peace the blessing of the resurrected Lord is our blessing. Next phrase. That great shepherd of the sheep. We've often referenced Jesus Christ as the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. And here we find great shepherd. Great shepherd to the sheep. Jesus said in his good Shepherd Discourse, John chapter 10, that he came so that his sheep might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. He called himself the good shepherd that gives his life for the sheep. He said that he knows his sheep and that he is known by those sheep that are his. Jesus said that his sheep hear his voice and follow him. 
Jesus said, He gives to His sheep eternal life. He gives unto them life, and that abundantly. And part of that which describes the abundancy of the life that Christ gives is the adjective eternal. The life that you receive in Christ is eternal life. That's not someday you'll get it. But the reality of this day, possessing eternal life as to a quality of a thing and as to a duration of a thing, eternal. As to the life that I have, as to the life you have in Christ, it is as to quality, eternal. It will indeed be correctly understood as superior to any earthly, temporal thing. And you got it. And you got it in Christ. And that's the blessing of you upon your life. It's the blessing of life in Christ. Eternal life is yours in Christ. It's not as we preach the sobering text of the last hour, it's not about getting a ticket for heaven, although surely you'll be there if your faith is in Christ, but it is about the reception of a life that occupies you from out of the throne of God. And in fact, we teach and believe of the indwelling of the eternal spirit of God within the believer. Right here, right now. Beloved, that is the abundancy. It is not about going to Starbucks and they give you an extra cup of java because you're God's child. It is not about earthly prosperity that may or may not reflect the condition of your soul. It is about the life of the eternal one. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Eternal life as to its duration. The life you have in this world is temporary. It will indeed come to its end. But life in Christ is forever. He is the grand shepherd of our soul. For the sake of our faith and endurance, 
we have reference here to this great shepherd of the sheep. Your blessing, my blessing in Christ, grounded and founded upon the God of peace, grounded and founded upon the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, grounded and founded upon he who is the great shepherd of the sheep, our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And that brings us in this morning to the phrase, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The old covenant, like the new covenant, is an arrangement of God based upon sacrificial blood. The old covenant was intentionally temporary. The old covenant was intentionally anticipatory. The old covenant anticipates the new covenant. The temporary covenant anticipates the forever covenant. The Old Covenant is called Old, Temporary, Anticipatory, because it called for repeated offerings of animal sacrifices whose bloodshed ceremonially depicted God's satisfaction of wrath over mankind's rebellion and sin. The Old Covenant painted the picture, painted the hope, painted the prospect of, uh, of what God intended to do all along. And that is to bring sinful man in peace with himself by means of alien righteousness. The Old Covenant called for repeated offerings of animal sacrifices whose bloodshed ceremonially depicted God's cessation, God's satisfaction of wrath over mankind's rebellion and sin. But as we all know, the shed blood of animals in no way really brought to God any eternal satisfaction. The actual satisfaction of God concerning human sin is exclusively attached to the blood of the cross. The blood of the Lord Jesus shed at the cross. Since this was always God's intention and plan, the new covenant is also to be known as the everlasting or eternal covenant of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
It is by the blood of the cross that this eternal arrangement by which God can be both just and justifier of the one who believes in the Lord Jesus is established by none other than God himself. The Lord Jesus is the mediator of this eternal or everlasting covenant established in his own blood with God the Father for the propitiation or the satisfaction of the Father's wrath over our sin. The blood of our Lord shed is the effective, eternal arrangement upon which our faith in Jesus Christ stands. We can believe in him and endure in him because he is the centerpiece of God's effective arrangement. Our blessing is in and by this effective, eternal arrangement. We are blessed by the eternal covenant. Our faith and our endurance in Christ is construed upon the one true God and his effective, eternal arrangement within himself by which sinful people receive forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. Our faith in Christ is as relationally secure as God himself and his own eternal satisfaction with the effectual arrangement that he himself made. God cannot deny himself. God cannot deny himself. God cannot deny himself. You are blessed. I am blessed in Christ because God cannot deny himself. He's the one that made these arrangements. He's the one that gave us the Savior. He's the one that saves the soul. And our eternal blessing is all on him. May God be praised. May God be praised. May God be praised. That was all made relationally real in the mind of God before the world began. I just can't comprehend that. I believe it. The Bible says it. But I can't get my puny brain around it. All of that, all of that was made relationally real in the mind of God before a blade of grass, before a bumblebee 
or a knee who hurts. That effective, eternal arrangement was made relationally real in time. When Christ died for our sins, was buried, resurrected on the third day, and ascended as our great high priest forevermore. Made real, relationally real, eternity past. Made real, relationally real, at the cross. And made real for me in May of 1960, when I first placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Effective, eternal, satisfaction for God. Effective, arrangement of salvation for me and you made by God. And on that basis, you and I are blessed. This relational reality endures, not because you or I make it to endure, but because, as Scripture says elsewhere, he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so, for the sake of our faith and endurance in Christ, we rally our souls unto God as he is and according as he has done. It is the God of this peace and the peace of this God that enables us to love him and to do his will. Our blessing is in and by the God of peace. Our blessing is in and by the resurrected Christ. Our blessing is in and by the heavenly shepherd of the sheep. Our blessing is in and by the blood of the never-ending covenant. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Now you know why we ought to be talking about Jesus. Father, help us to be a responsive flock to this pronouncement of blessing. We pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.